1: Yo, welcome back to the show, Surf Splendor fans, listeners, devotees. I am, of course, as always, your humble host, David Scales, bringing you a brand new episode. Well, partially new episode, I should say. Um, This is another rebroadcast episode. And basically, these episodes are recorded generally like two to four weeks of lead time before they get published. So I'm just now catching up from the break that we took over the holidays. Last week, of course, we brought you a new episode. Next week, we'll bring you a new one. Those are both surf news, which of course need to be timely and relevant. But um, these these profile pieces, on the other hand, are the ones that take a little bit more pre-production and post-production. And uh, so I'm just catching up now after the holidays. But alas that holiday break that I was able to take those two weeks with Christmas and New Year's has left me revitalized and refreshed. And so, um, you know, be able to bring you a lot of really great content moving forward in 2015, but that's not an apology for today's episode because today's episode is actually, uh, I'm quite proud of, and it's with Donald Brink, who is a surfboard shaper. And, um, I'll get more into Donald Brink in a moment, but I should say that the Tom Parrish episode that I published the first week of the 2015, the first week of this month, got really good feedback. And the download numbers actually are very similar to uh, brand new episodes' download numbers. Which leads me to believe that there's a lot of new listeners, basically. So um, I'm glad to have you if you're a new listener. And it made me realize that you probably haven't caught up on a lot of the old content. A lot of that stuff, those profile pieces, are still relevant. You know, one year of age on them really doesn't do much to age them. They're still really relevant. There's a couple of iTunes reviews that reference episodes that I'm just going to go ahead and read. Um, iTunes review from Yamada FKR said, uh, gave us a five-star rating, said it's a nice mix of surf news and interesting guests. Please keep them coming. If you haven't listened to the Eric Arakawa episode, please do so. So he's referring to, um, episode number two, actually the second episode we ever produced, I think it was the first one we actually recorded. But the second one that we published was with surfboard shaper, Eric Arakawa, we recorded it on the north shore of Oahu at the famous sugar mill shaping facility. And um, he talked about Andy Irons and shaping boards and even inventing the nose guard, which was something that I didn't know about him. And really just a, a smart dude and really as good of a businessman as he is a shaper, which I thought was really kind of interesting. So definitely check that episode out. I'm not going to be able to rebroadcast all of these back episodes, of course, but so, um, you know, I did Tom's and I am doing this one today, but I just wanted to point out a couple others that are worth tracking down if you are a new listener. So episode number three was an episode called the art and business of surf photography. And that was with Aaron Chang, you know, a really iconic, legendary surf photographer, one of the original dudes at uh, surfing magazine, So that's really interesting. And I combined that episode with a newer upstart photographer, Morgan Mawson, who got his kind of claim to fame working side by side with Kelly Slater and Dane Reynolds and Stephanie Gilmore. So um, that episode I really enjoyed doing and I learned a lot from it. One of my favorite episodes that I recorded last year was with Sean Thompson. And um, that was just personally really gratifying and rewarding. He wrote a book called The Code. And so we discussed his book, but the the book really just, it draws a lot of metaphor for life through surfing and through specific experiences that he had in surfing, business failures, uh, horrific wipeouts, challenging surfboard design notion, and um, kind of pushing design evolution to allow him to surfboards at Pipeline that hadn't really been done before and surf the wave in a different way that hadn't been done before So really kind of important surf history, you know that he's able to draw a parallel and again metaphor uh, for life And draw conclusions into life lessons just for your average reader, you know, who might not be surfing pipeline, but still can apply the lessons to everyday life. So I really enjoyed that interview and that that conversation with Sean Thompson. So if you haven't yet, go back and listen to that. That's episode 13, which leads us to today's episode, which was with Donald Brink. And I didn't know Donald Brink too well at the time that I interviewed him. I had met him at Scott Bass's The Boardroom show. Really uh, was intrigued kind of by a lot of his boards and his whole aesthetic And so we started up a dialogue and um, ultimately I ended up interviewing him for the show and I learned a lot more about him. But one thing that Donald is really passionate about is asymmetrical board design. And so that is a portion of our discussion in this episode. But um, the reason why I wanted to rebroadcast the episode was because that, that conversation has come up almost more than any other conversation over the course of the past year of doing Surf Splendor. I see surfers uh, and friends in the parking lot or in the water at the beach, and that's something that they always ask me about. Kelly Slater, during the Snapper event last year um, on the CT, was interviewed, I think it was Rosie Hodge asked him the question of what he thought the next kind of big trend in board design would be, and he said he thought that asymmetry would be the next big trend, and that he's experimented with it, and that it just makes logical sense that your feet aren't symmetrical from heel to toe. Your weight distribution is different for your heel than it is on your toe. You have the ability to leverage with your toes, which you don't with your heels. Your heels only apply pressure. They don't relieve pressure. Um, And then obviously your board never traverses the water symmetrically. The wave isn't symmetrical, it's always changing. The water's always crossing the board at an asymmetrical path. So all of those things would lend themselves towards an asymmetrical board design. And um, that's really what Donald kind of breaks down in this episode. And to be honest, now that I'm more educated about it, it'd be worth doing a follow-up episode with somebody like Donald to... um, Ask even more kind of detailed and and well thought out questions because at the time I was still really just new to the concept and trying to absorb it. So I wanted to kind of retouch on that conversation and present this episode to you today. Donald has had a lot of success in the past year as well, to his own credit. Um, he's one of Visla's sponsored shapers. And so they've done pretty well promoting him. And I think he's done them very well by actively promoting their brand by just really making incredible handcrafted surfboards that are just really thoughtfully made and brilliantly designed and beautiful to look at. And I actually have two of Donald's boards that I've been riding on and off for the past year. I just rode one actually the last session that I surfed. I rode a single fin that I got used from him. Uh, 6'9", single fin, rode that, kind of had a solo session with nobody out Saturday afternoon before it started raining. And it was head high and amazing that I was able to surf in Huntington Beach by myself. And the waves are actually really good. So that doesn't happen too often in Orange County. So I really enjoy both of my brink boards. And I really enjoyed getting to know Donald through this conversation and really maintaining my relationship with him over the past year. He's become an avid listener of the show and is actually given me a lot of really insightful feedback, and uh, I'm grateful for that too. So thanks for listening to my extended intro spiel today. And of course, if you're new to the show, you can follow us on social media at Surf Splendor, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, And, of course, um, on our website, all of the ancillary content that accompanies this show, uh, imagery, videos, all the things that we discuss in the show are on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also leave a comment about today's show there, too. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Donald Brink. Yeah. No. Um, no.
2: Conversation. Okay. So my name is Donald Brink, and um, ship surfboards. Yeah. And I started. Um, I was I was born in South Africa. Okay. And I didn't. Uh, I wasn't born at the beach, <laughs> but moved. Uh, we would go on vacation to the sea, and I loved it. And I saw surfing on TV at a young age, and was the Gunston 500 and I'll just never forget watching, it was actually a Mondo Yeah. <laughs> these Brazilians just surfing the sunshine, which is real fascinating to me so when I was 15 we moved to the coast and my father would travel to work a bunch and eventually got a transfer out there so that was great and um moved to Cape Town and you know, it's, a, it's just a beautiful place, sure. real close to my heart and it's a it's, it's a real rugged coastline with a lot of wind and yeah. cold water and so on and so forth so that uh, that was my introduction to the sea, and um, I was traveling in the United States with a Christian rock band, Friends of Mine, from home and school. Really, and <laughs> we grew up playing music together, and we'd travel the world, and landed up in touring the states, and that's how I got to California. Well, uh, how old were you then? So that was that was years and years later. I'd started building surfboards and doing a bunch of artwork and design and all sorts of things, and. Um, so I'd started that back in Cape Town, and so when we arrived in California, San Clemente was our first stop, which was great, and I knew exactly what this place is all about. So yeah. San Clemente is now home, and it's uh, yeah, it was I was kind of grandfathered into the introduction to who was who in the zoo building surfboards here yeah, because they happened to be mutual family friends of my wife's family and okay. people like Terry Martin and. Old Hayward and those were the likes of people that were just old family friends of theirs so
1: crazy
2: yeah it was it was really a (laughs) I got the back door in and that was it was nice to arrive in a place of such nostalgic value when it comes to building surfboards and design and creativity and the surf industry and so as much as I thought I knew exactly what this place was about it was bigger and being here was was I mean it was electric so when you were building boards in South Africa um, like when did, how did you get
1: into building boards there, and what's the board building culture like there?
2: Sure. Yeah. When I when I started, um, obviously it was years ago. Um, it was it was one of those places where a board was very very precious. There was hardly that many people shaping them. Surfing was was the cool thing to do, but it wasn't popular, and it was a little more. You'd separate the boys from the men in terms of sure. cold water, need a wetsuit, need a vehicle. You know, like the the odds were against you. You know, I I surfed the beach in front of my folks' house because it's all I had proximity to, and it wasn't great waves. But I was on my own, and I was just so dying to learn. So I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came to surfboards, man, the second-hand board sales were king because boards were they were almost rare. Not rare, but they were precious. Sure. And uh, so when it, I I went through a bunch of different boards, and I just I was into it. I learned, and I was just soaking this all up and I eventually started noticing the difference between them in design and you know one would work better than the other and I was fascinated by how things were put together that was just my nature and so I spent a lot of time you know building things and making things and so the surfboard to me was an intriguing part of what I was enjoying doing Uh but the details were what really captivated me and so I spent time with the local shaper got him to build me some boards and the improvements were good you know it's sort of expressed what i was trying to do in the water and those boards went well but i was still sort of a miss it yeah at, at really marrying these thoughts to 100 percent function in in my path yeah that was my friend david van ginkel of dvg dvg shapes okay. and uh he's uh he's done very well in the surfboard industry in, in south africa and and in the world now with uh, the, with the big web boards he's building oh, okay. and um so he would let me come and watch him shape, and that—that's what—that's how I really learned to build surfboard. I didn't mow my own foam for for years, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just—I had a job, but I every afternoon I'd, I'd knock off early, and I sort of got my whole schedule formed around at three o'clock. I'd be able to go over, would sit down, have a cup of tea, and Dave would jump in the bay, and um, so every day for years i can remember really just i'd watched dave shape and so it didn't matter what he was making any day it was it was a great oversight on how boards got put together yeah and um you know since then returning home now surfing has just exploded it's, sure. it's huge in south africa i mean it's it's so encouraging to see and you know the technology and just in terms of wetsuits and the amount Ooh. of families in the water and the amount of people making boards and the availability of materials and so on and so forth and some of the leading surfers, Netherland board builders coming right out of there now. So it's, things have changed, but my perspective was very much a grassroots level and that, that, that the preciousness of such an amazing tool. And the, the second-hand board market is still huge in South Africa and it's because I, th- it, I almost noticed that the, the longevity of a board there is, is like five-fold compared to a lot of other places, yeah. maybe even like here. And, you know, there's, those old twin fins, they were laying around for a reason and you didn't pick them up cheap but I started riding them and I was into them and started collecting those old boards and it gave me a good uh, feel and sense for what was being done in say the early 80s, not so much the late 70s, I was more into the twin fin era and feeling those boards and those concepts implied and they were done very well. Um, and noticing the difference in that surfing experience, I was hooked, I was like wow, well, So I started riding a lot of those boards here yeah, and they were fascinating because they worked really well, especially for the waves on offer. Yeah. But leaving the big wave thing, which to me was uh, so, I mean, it was in my blood and was really starting to hang with the right people and be on the right boats and paddling and, you know, riding bigger waves. And it was, one big wave was better than a, like a bunch of them on a small beach, you know, just mm-hmm. the, the sessions were just had these, these moods and experiences about them and, and starting to ride good boards and, um, leaving that and coming here and noticing that the need for design for the suitable conditions or suitable equipment for the right conditions on offer was never more expressed because even in good waves you can kind of make anything go and um as much although i love to make everything i I still think probably my dream would be to make big wave boards all day long yeah i just i look at guys like john carper and you know those kinds of guys who've build, been building boards of, for waves of consequence for years and years and years. There's something about building mini boats like that. I mean, there's yeah. just there's something about building a board for somebody who's going to trust it on waves that matter. And it, there's some I don't know. To me, that that's a fascinating thing. But moving here, I was like I was a little disappointed with the uh, not disappointed with the waves, but you know just the you know, normal shortboards and stuff weren't working for as well as I was surfing and. So I started kind of putting the retro stuff under my arm and I was like, man, it really it really fit the conditions And I just want to go fast and you'll figure out how to turn the thing and so So that's what I started gravitating towards and you know, once I set up shop and really started, you know putting putting a price on boards and I made so many for myself never sold a board for a couple of years after first arriving just you know just, just trying to build the confidence and getting everything up and just doing a lot of r and D. I. I uh, I was like kind of dedicating my whole program to figuring out how to make these boards work in small waves or meager conditions. I got a visa fiance visa in which uh, to get married and uh, so yeah I just went about everything the right way and I had 90 days within Lent land, after landing in which to get married because I went home back and we got got engaged and da 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 and I did some work up in East Africa and Um, did a lot of sailing and so when I finally came back to get married it was um, pretty much hit the ground running.
1: Um,
2: Work construction work for Terry Martin's son. Um, That was a good time too because I really got to kind of had an insight to the Martin family and they taught me a lot and you know every morning I could pop by and watch Terry shape and and it wasn't every day but like there was an open invitation there and really got to know them and kind of saw how things were getting put together and um, so yeah, I wasn't building boards for a living—that's for sure—but I was building a lot of boards, and yeah. it was right at the time when Clark had the Clark had just shut down. I mean, I was still home when they shut, and so I remember getting on the on the phone. It was like middle of the night and calling Terry, and he was like, he was—he walked right in. And he was like, "Man, I, I shaped two plugs today, and he had shaped them for us, and it was the like things were changing, and he'd made the plugs, and off they were going, and who everyone was guessing, but it was a great time to arrive because I mean, I had free foam. I mean, I just had more foam than I knew what to do with. Sure. And um, so I was laminating my own boards in the garage, and I was working out, it was about $46 a board for me at the time. Wow. Yeah, I was just getting free foam, a couple tins of resin, some cloth, and do some artwork. And so, yeah, I built so many boards like that. And, um, yeah, I learned a lot at that time. Um, I got to express myself a lot, but, I mean, it's a constant process. You're always learning. Sure. But that that time especially was was precious because it was the waves had changed, the demand for excellence had really been put up because it was, well, these, those, these small wave boards aren't easy to build because you push water so easily, but if you get them right, you could feel the magic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was when things really started to click. It was like you'd get one right and it would be, wow, okay. Yeah. The possibilities started to sort of, they either frustrated you because you didn't make it or they excited you because you started to see new lights and angles and feel things and... Uh, um, and the boards I was being exposed to were so new too, you know, like, clearly I remember riding a Bonza fin for the first time. Mm. It was just because I didn't ever have one laying around at home, and um, yeah. so I kind of went almost off the deep end in terms of just soaking up as much as I could, just riding a lot of finless stuff and making finless stuff, and maybe even, I, I wouldn't call it ahead of the time, because I was always looking back, riding hot curls and the kind of things like that, but it, uh, it was a time when it was the details that went into a board I've always knew, were immense but once you really start getting into a bay and start building board after board and you start to, I think any shaper has got a book of tricks on how he understands hydrodynamics Yeah. and the principles involved in a board and you'll see it in anyone's computer file or something, you know, somebody's got a this or that and you might order something and they'll tweak or whatever but I just love hand shaping but I also knew that I needed to have a rock steady foundation on which, I mean... I'm not claiming to know everything that's for sure but there's been things I've kind of learned along the way that I'm like yeah committed to this and I felt it in the water and it seems to be working and you evolve and it grows and it changes but it's um there's certain things that just water react the same way in, in one way to another and yeah, you, you build upon those.
1: Yeah it's interesting
2: I mean what you just touched
1: on has come up a lot when I talk to shapers and I'm not exactly sure even how to articulate it but I think that When it comes to design, people want a scientific explanation of, you know, if you uh, incorporate this design element, the board will react this way, and and they want evidence to back that up. Sure. You know, because in other areas of life, you can do empirical testing, you know, and even with ships on the sea and stuff, you can empirically test hydrodynamic principle, but... With surfing, there's an element or a lot of elements of variable. Yeah. Depending on the wave conditions and the contours of that wave, the surfer themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. The weight distribution of that surfer. You know, you could have two 175-pound surfers that are distributed totally differently. Yeah. And they'll ride those boards differently. And so, you know, it's very difficult to I think scientifically identify exacting elements of design and how they translate on the water but really i think that is the art of the shaper being able to kind of communicate with the surfer absolutely understand the waves they're riding and convey that or translate that into the board you know
2: i i I say to people um, the (laughs) the best way to order a surfboard is to work hard i mean find a shaper that you want to be able to talk to and they're going to listen but i have i found a joy in that but We can still have a disconnect between how somebody's what their adjectives are to describing something correct and whether they're being honest about what they're doing right so the best way to order a board is to work really hard on trying to describe what it is you want to do on a wave because the the words you use might be the fault right so that's work really hard on that and and never underestimate your ability to interpret a design i mean like i have people come in and i'm like did you change those fins and they're like I can't feel that I'm like you'll be surprised you can right if you change something you'll feel it and you might not feel or be able to know which but you'll feel a difference and sometimes people throw away their 5 10 15 20 years of surfing experience out the window they're like you know and they just it's great to be open to what somebody wants to make them or work on a partnership but i so often I just feel I'm like no 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 explain about what you want to do on a wave and like where, where your confidence is when your bottom turn and or maybe on your nose ride or whatever it is and like your ability to interpret how to ride a wave and how you are riding a wave that's the stuff that we design around right you know my job is to go in there and put the hydrodynamic principles in foam that gets glossed and weighted and, did it and lands up with something that you are then being able to do what you wanted to do sure so that I think is the biggest disconnect and, and I've had relationships with people where we've when they say X, I I really know it means Y, but we've now, our X and Y, it's the same word. Correct. You know, drive, lift, Yeah. those are gray areas, but there's so many details in, within them, that once you start nailing down and you, and you start to talk the same language, it kind of can't go wrong, and I keep telling people like, the best way to build a board is to get rid of all the guesswork, because there's really, every element is a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. So you know there's a thought behind every single little piece of whatever you're making putting into or leaving out of a board and you know the more you discuss about what you're trying to do what you're not trying to do you get rid of every little piece of guessing yeah. you know and uh, and you you land up with something that's going to work really well well i
1: spent time on your website last week you know and um I think you did a good job of, first of all, you have like an order form that asks questions about what type of board you want. And those questions, I think, convey what you're talking about. It's not specifically what dimensions do you want this board. (laughs) It's more of what feeling do you want to get out of
2: the board, you know? I, to answer that, not to answer it, but to add to it right now, it's, I think the biggest I love hand-shaping things and I'm I'm never going to give that up. You know, I understand the, the the platform for having people have a constant reference with the machine and all that. The problem is the education to a surfer these days is they get very confident on from model to model what their volumes are that they like. And that's great. The problem is I can't measure them, uh-huh. <laughs> nor do I have an output. into. I mean, I, I get a good rough feel, but, you know, when you're calculating or talking to somebody in the email and they're, like, quoting volumes that they used to and... I think that is a good asset to somebody's understanding of what they're writing. The problem is it's like volume's a great thing, but if you distribute it over a different plane, I mean, it's going to have a con- an entirely different buoyancy factor. So right. volume is fine so long as it's the right height and the same width, you know. But, you know, once you start to change a lot of elements, I think the description of what you're trying to do on a wave is going to be way more important. Absolutely. And, and I think it fits the asymmetry incredibly well. And I think that that shows itself, especially well in small waves, which I touched on earlier, is what I've pretty much dedicated this program to. Um, But those questions are, are specifically designed to try and almost cut to the chase in terms of like the fine prints, like those details that you're trying to describe on how you're riding a wave.
1: Donald has probably become best known for his passion for asymmetrical surfboards. If you're unfamiliar with asymmetrical board design, it's exactly what it sounds like. A board that has two sides that are not the same. I asked Donald to explain the theory behind asymmetrical board design.
2: I started building the asymmetric boards many years ago now, and it was, the first ones I built were specific wave, to answer specific wave, you know, but um, very seldom have I actually done that or gone back to that, although I do think it is a, platform for
0: it.
2: Okay. My thoughts are, the way your foot's working, you have toes in front of the one side and a heel behind it. The pivotal reference is not in the middle and so everything's referencing around where your ankles are turning. So it's easier to ride front side than it is back side. That just makes sense because you've got the ability to push and pull yourself in and out of the wave face. When you go into your heels, you're heavier on your heel side and it's easier to keep adding weight into a turn but it's hard to pull yourself out of it. So um, if somebody comes in and they're kind of on the fence about what to decide or what not, I, I think a lot about a surfboard is when you enter the water, The I'd hate to say preconceived ideas, but the confidence in your equipment or your notions or how to ride things are probably going to be more important than people like to let on to. I've had a hard time pushing people into something that they're not comfortable with. Because sure. before you take off on a wave, you're, almost, you're never going to make the drop unless you're confident. You're not even going to be able to make the, the paddle out. Unless you, you know, getting, yeah. You've got to get your mind in the right place. So I, I, I love to explain why I do the things, but I'm very, very leery in terms of putting something. Even though I know it'll work well, you've got to turn your blinkers off if the nose is skew. Just stand up and surf. We've yeah. changed it the way your foot's working. Um, so if somebody walked in... Um, I'm at the place now where I love building these asymmetric boards so much that I almost feel a disservice building somebody a symmetrical board because I'm sure. like... It's like ordering a car. It's like, all right, we'll sell you this one, but really good, right. buy a better one. And it's not the price point. In fact, I sometimes like to let asymmetrics go out the door cheaper just because I'm like to spread the word and the understanding and education, Uh but uh, I think the value is immense. Um...
1: When you're hiring for a small business, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs.
0: Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, uh,
1: Donald grabs a board off his rack to like show me an example as he talks. Yeah, yeah. Go to SurfSplendorPodcast.com to see the video that accompanies this part of the conversation.
2: And I'll touch quickly on the, on the changes that I do make if you want me to. But, yeah, please. So when I'm designing a board, no matter what it is, if I was just going to get given a board to say take this flavor and make it asymmetric, I'll, depending on the on the design but usually it's the longer rail on the toe side because I think you can go out into the flats and you have advantage and the leverage of your feet to get out there further and nurse it higher. So I'll generally take a toe side of a board and pretty much leave it the same because that really is a good reference for what the flavor of the board is. So I'll leave the toe side the same. Um, I do incorporate a twisted rocker which probably isn't worth explaining but that's in there and um, the heel side I will fill up the rail for two reasons I think you're heavier on your heel side so I want the board to sink a little bit later but I also want it more forgiving so if I have a fuller rail this is a heel side here if I have a fuller ping-pong ball rail there compared to this Still slightly smaller ping pong but down rail. I'll have more sensitivity on the down rail to surf more accurately, but when I go into my heels or when I'm weaving on my heelside line, I'm gonna dig rail less. If I dig rail less, I'll connect the dots more and surf better. Yeah. So I think that one of the biggest changes in your small wave board is if you especially backside, if you're not if you're not digging rail as much. Right. Then you're gonna love it. Yeah. So longer rail on the toes, fuller rail on the heel with a shorter outline. So one, two, see the difference in the point there, and I've changed the heel side and get rid of this real estate over here because if you're standing up and you come onto your heels, if there's no board right here in this quadrant, you're gonna come around sooner. Yeah. Now with that extra weight from the how your body's working, you got more weight to add into that, so you may as well have the board come around and then when you go back to your toes, you have the time to nurse it in and out and you know clutch, 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 clutch. clutch. Oh, and, and moving the center reference over one's ankle. So if I had a board with a stringer in, move that stringer over the ankle. If it's a thruster, that pivotal thruster fin, over the ankle. If it's a single fin, over the ankle. If it's a twin, move the real estate so that it's pivotal reference. If it's a V-bottom, whatever the center part of that design is, get rid of the center, put it over the ankle. and um, Centered over ankle rather than over foot. Absolutely. Got it. So who cares where the stringer is? The wave doesn't. Right. Let's care where the ankle is. I like to... The best way for me to do it is if I'm designing something, I'll I'll usually start with a symmetrical design. Something that I've made or I like and I'm like... You know, figure out how to make that board go. (laughs) Then we change it. But on a customer's level, if you come in with some board that you really like, that's a great point of reference from which to make a brave change. Okay. So everything's calculated, not mathematically, but just feel flow and hate to call it soul, but you know, you feel a board and you kind of get an essence of how and what's making it work and feeling rails and that kind of thing. Um, so whether it's a single fin, twin thruster, quad, five fin, bond, it doesn't matter what the design is. Um, what I like to do is take those concepts and I'm calling it, it the flavor and enhance its performance or change that word for forgiveness to open that flavor up for a variety of conditions so you might love a twin fin okay with the hard down rail and a sanded bladed edge from 1984 but as soon as there's a little bit of texture or there's some lump on the face at T Street you're battling so we could take that and change the heel side soften the rail, change the distribute the rocker, <laughs> You know, make one or two subtle changes and the board will look very similar. But it works better day in and day out because when there's chop on the face, you're digging heel side rail lace. So is that to say that you feel with any symmetrical board design that
1: it could be improved upon by those types of uh, changes? By an asymmetrical not to back a corner?
2: No, I, I love this corner. Very few people ask that question. Yeah. When I look at a surfboard, I, I make symmetrical boards too, because a lot of people like them, and I write symmetrical boards fairly often too. When I look at a surfboard, though, and my mind wanders into a realm of improvement, I do see advantages in building something with asymmetric changes according to the way one's foot's working. So I always say, go left or right, but you're standing one way. Now, to the few rare special specimens that are able to ride switchfoot, no, there's no point. Don't, sure. Don't don't shop here then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I also think, with with a huge pinch of salt in that comment, I think that people's ability and the rider's skill set or ability on a wave is going to triumph any design. Okay. And I heard that said well by, and I've, I wish I ever remembered who said it. it was a young Shaper from Hawaii. I was reading some Shaper's bio stuff, and um, well, I wish I could remember who it was, but he always said, you know, ability triumphs design. Mm-hmm. And when I, I read it and I stopped, you know, I just, it just hit me so hard because I said, like, what are you talking about? But then I continued reading, and then it started to make sense, but it really does. Like, I mean, you put John John on anything, and mm-hmm. it's
1: probably going to pull it off. Yeah, you give Tiger Woods a crappy golf club from the thrift store, he'll yeah. hit it better than anybody we know can hit the proper club.
2: You know, I mean, it's like people, like, I think a lot of people view a surfboard as like, like, take a buoyant board. Well that thing floats really good. Oh, it's cheating. I'm like, cheating? <laughs> like, okay, sure, the board's going to be too buoyant, but let's just say design, added confidence, or ability or familiarity or consistency is probably the best word Mm -hmm. to going out there and having fun now when you started surfing (laughs) you did anything you could to make it easier to learn now that you've continued surfing you know that really has never gone out the question Mm -hmm. your accurate ability to go out there and interpret a section or translate a feeling or execute a maneuver or whatever it is people are doing well you you choose certain equipment so that it can d- let you do that best but I mean you look at anybody's latest model or the evolution of a brand it's like you know the, the this number two or the, this is a redone and there's a constant progression towards having to express the same fundamental flavor either more consistently with more accuracy or more often and it's the same thing it's like if you can go out there and shred more often yeah and have more fun doing it yeah and I think that it that that it seems such an obvious thing to be talking about but it's yeah you leave cool at the beach and that's starting to become a flavor these days which I'm so excited about but I mean if you're able to go out there and express yourself more consistently you're going to be happier
1: okay I'm not don't want to turn this conversation into a debate of asymmetrics versus not uh-huh. happy too yeah yeah okay so The obvious question to me is if those things are true that you say and those are the benefits of asymmetrical uh, designs, why haven't Kelly Slater, let's say, and icons that we've looked up to who are surfers embraced that design? And further, guys like Al Merrick or these iconic shapers that we know of, why haven't they necessarily come to that same conclusion on their own or embraced those designs?
2: I think there are two answers to that question, okay. and they may be rather global, but it's a global industry. I've yet to see, I've yet to see a computer successfully shape an asymmetric with the changes that I've come to learn are brave and different enough from one side to the other on any level. So the fact that the industry is driven by mechanized pipeline I guess, What? that's the wrong words. It's driven by... It's driven by shaping machines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if the machines can't do that, can't base a business around it. Not gonna make enough money. Now, to put a feather in Matt Biolis' hat, I saw him shape an asymmetrical board at the boardroom show a couple of years ago. I thought it was unbelievable. So did the judges and he won for it. An incredible shaper. Does he spend all day in a shaping bay? No running a successful business and hats off to him. Would I like to see him in a Schopenberg outfit? Of course. Those guys, his thoughts were amazing. So, why aren't the best of the best on the best equipment? That's the wrong word because to them, they are on the best equipment. I'm coming back to my point saying, <laughs> ability triumphs design. Yeah. Those world-class athletes are the best of the best. So when they're designing something, they're designing with the, the most accurate, cutting edge, dancing on the tip of a needle kind of um, design elements to make their experience that extra half point or whatever yeah. it is to win a heat. And They stay on that equipment pretty much year round so they can keep their skill level up. But we all know that they'd love to ride weird stuff on the off days and a couple of them do and it's great. So to answer this as quickly as I can, Josh Kerr wrote an asymmetrical board at Chopu this year. And you'd never have noticed it. But Apparently what I heard was the only change that they made was they made his waveside rail a little more pinched so that he could set it faster on the drop. So I, I mean, I'd love to hear Rusty's point on it, but yeah. it was nothing that you would have noticed from the outline. Right. The board looked the same.
1: Right.
2: Now, the bravest changes that I make in a board, because I change a few things normally, but if I only ever changed one thing I'd probably change the rail shape. So I think you will start to see it influence and infiltrate the you know, the call it the marketplace on that mm-hmm. sort of a level. But the the problem is is reproducing those consistent results mm-hmm. are gonna be hard to program. And I think when you do see them, they will be very subtly changed, just like any pro model. You know, you'll pick up six boards and love one. It's the subtle differences and I think for a professional rider, the subtle differences are going to be enough to enhance their performance from heel side to toe side, from heel side to toe side, stay on the heel back to the toe because they're so good they don't need that much help. Or the waves are so good that they're riding that you'd rather be able to surf accurately and fudge it on your heel because they're that good. Mm -hmm. So when I make a change on a board to help your heel side rail, due to the limitations of your foot, I'm also expecting the wave to be maximum of X height, possibly windy and onshore because that's the only time you got to surf because that's when you got off work before you had to go home to be with the kids. Sure, I understand that point of view and so those changes look really brave because <laughs> they're trying to answer really, really challenging conditions. If I was surfing world-class waves <laughs> yeah. and gotten flown to do it, probably would be a little less brave in uh, what the boards look like. Yeah. Um, so the asymmetric change... I think it's hard for an industry to adopt it because from my perspective it seems like it demands a handshape and it's, um, it's a very much a custom element. So I'm not saying those guys aren't getting custom boards, it's just, I mean those guys surf a lot of surfboards so you now need to be with a really good shaper who is able to afford being able to build that many experimental boards for that many conditions and you know say they even got 10 and loved one. I mean, the the numbers are incredible.
1: Coming into this conversation, my thought was like, there are different um, design evolutions over time, right? Like the Bonser or whatever. And uh, in hindsight, you could see which ones are just like a little subculture versus which ones turn the industry and it becomes like, you know, twin fin becomes a huge deal. Sure. Thruster becomes kind of the model that everybody follows so coming into this conversation i was asymmetrical to me looks like just this branch of the surfboard design world where it's like people will dabble in it or people do dabble in it but the wide you know highway of design is parallel to that or near that it sounds like your way of thinking is more that the industry is turning towards you know asymmetric everything will incorporate asymmetries in asymmetrics somehow whether it is just yeah. that little rail that josh kerr is using or it whether it's visibly noticeable you know or whether the fin setup is asymmetric
2: yeah i think from what i i, I try not to do too much research for one i'm busy but like i, I don't want to be building what somebody else is building because it looks cool on instagram like yeah who cares i'm like i don't care what the boards look like if they go better than the other boards we're going to be okay. And I'm driven to excellence because of that, because I want to build stuff that goes better, whether it's in small waves or whatever it is. But I think that the, call it the highway of where surfing's going, I think asymmetric change or advantage can apply itself to any surfboard. And I think that's exciting because that's the problem. It's like, yeah, this tree grew and then this branch went off this way and then the branch went off that way. And I mean... Yeah, some of the tree just continued to blossom and other little avenues we've kind of hiked back and started to explore them And there's a whole resurgence in single fins Who cares, but I think any board being ridden could be picked up, at least I like to pick it up Look at somebody riding, listen to how they're riding, surf it myself, whatever it is and be like that was really good I think if we did this this and that from little <laughs> yeah. bits of experimentation over the years and been, okay, try again. Uh-huh. And you redo something and wow. Now all of a sudden, whatever year that board is designed or whatever part in the hierarchy we've entered and if it's an old board or a new board, whatever, you've continued in that path. You've just made some adaption so that it's even more enjoyable. Well, I think my understanding
1: or kind of the learning that I just, you know, what I just learned was that I was thinking of asymmetrical design as being something different than a thruster or a single fin or whatever, whatever sure. a bonds are, but I think what you've conveyed is that you can incorporate asymmetrics
2: into anything. Absolutely. So, so and I want to I, I want to touch on that because I've seen, let's go back to the computers, so yeah. I see the place for them and you know I've seen people like they'll make a subtle change, so they'll take a computer pre-cut and... Just change the tail and maybe move a fin and like that's great like it definitely makes a difference but that subtlety is it could be even more and that's where I'm thinking like you can change a whole bunch of stuff like I've learned and I'm starting to have a good success with but it's applicable anywhere and if we go all the way back I'd say like man it'd be really cool if we could just change our feet yeah <laughs> but because that's't gonna happen and it's kind of neat that it hasn't but the boards have to change. Yeah, they have to, you know. And um, what I've also noticed is people's ability to ride variety of craft is increasing. Yeah. I mean, if a kid comes onto the scene now and he can't ride an alaya, a longboard, a shortboard, a fish, and who knows else what, belly boards, mats, like you got like this whole package, you know. Yeah. You know, people like Dave Rastovich kind of like if you can't surf like that, you're probably not gonna you know, get a traction in an industry or people helping you along the way. And that's good because it highlights different avenues of that tree that was understudied or we went mm-hmm. back to. And it helps in people interpret how to ride what they're supposed to be riding or want to be riding. And every, every design shows itself and it either highlights your flaws or partners with where you're able to ride or should be riding or can be riding. And, I mean, surfing's difficult. difficult. You know? yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time. Can we talk a little bit about materials? Mm. Boards in
1: the last half century or have been made with polyurethane with a wood stringer and sure. polyester resin, basically, and fiberglass. Um, what are you using now and
2: what's the state of materials for brink? I think it depends on which types of waves you're trying to build boards for. I think big wave boards need to have weight. <laughs> you know, like there's different genres I like get. Yeah. But for me, I think, you know, a small wave Boards, especially grovelling division, that we have spent a lot of time trying to dedicate, and the asymmetrics show their benefit. I, I think in small waves best. Um, I think light surfboards, incredibly light, strong boards are the future.
1: Yeah.
2: I I really enjoy building polyester boards. I enjoy shaping it. I uh, I I'm not a Incredibly educated on the matter, but I just don't think they're that bad for the environment Yeah, and there's a lot of press about you know this Recycling this and this company that and at the end of the day I've learned that there's a lot of really good marketing dollars being invested in somebody's campaign But the real problem is there's so many other parts of how we live that are incredibly wasteful sure and I'm not saying polyester is the best way for the environment for us to be building surfboards, but I have also been hard-pressed to find a very, very conclusive education on, even call it the carbon footprint, of how bad this stuff really is. Mm -hmm. Now I understand changes are necessary, um, but sometimes those changes may not be as good. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy the benefits of epoxy and I build a lot of EPS boards. Um, The durability of the glass jobs and the UV and all those kinds of things is a problem. Mm -hmm. And when you're building boards that end up costing a bunch of money, like, that's a problem for me. I want my boards to last really well. I don't want them really light, just like anybody else's frustrations. Um, so coming back, I, I've i had best success building stringerless polyester surfboards and I think the biggest reason is I, I partner well with Oceanworks laminating my boards right now and you know, those are, that's a shop that does, I don't know, 50 to 60 Almeric Channel Island boards a week and they're up to production and yeah, they do tints and polishes and fancies and all that stuff too and an incredible glass job. But, when it comes to what the industry has demanded as a norm for materials you know things like s cloth and polyester resin being catalyzed is it's proven itself yeah those companies have developed those materials to a certain point that the consistency is incredible the durability is fair and the price points it's, you know it's non-negotiable sure so i think i've designed around that a lot okay um i've I know what the boards are going to weigh and what materials I'm going to choose and what it's going to cost so that usually is the reference like okay well I'm going to pay this much I know what I'm going to build and how I'm going to design. Um, Saying that I I do think some of the best boards I've been riding lately have been personal experimentations with um, very very light surfboards. (laughs) They they, they create memorable rides Hmm. and um, I do think for small waves you can you can impress yourself with yeah. what you got away with when you perhaps down the beach out of the crowd or surfing when you had the time to or taking off on waves that usually would have been pretty boring or yeah. just 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 being creative. Huh. And uh, boards with fins, double four on the deck, single four on the bottom, sand finish, stickers waxing all 5.2 pounds. You said five, fin- or uh, wood fins? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I, I like to build a lot of wood fins and. For one i like to control the template uh-huh. you know from asymmetric from the heel to the toe whatever it is the foil the flex you know build them out of plywood it's recycled plywood i'm getting so you know there's a nice little throwback to keeping things green but uh phew, incredibly light yeah you know those fins out there are on, on i mean they're light but they're not feather weights and they cost the earth yeah and then you're adding boxes and screws and total package I I think it's pretty good. Huh. Look at this board right here. And it looks terrible because I, this is all this is carbon hand frayed. Okay. So I don't have a hard seam where the you know sure. where things are fracturing out and I know there's cleaner neater ways to build it, but i you know I laminated this board right here and it was an experiment but I put a little bit of colour in every different step so that I can uh, explain okay. to the Groms how this is going off. So there's a little bit of red in the cheetah coat. There's green in the hot coat. This is hand laminate, you know, and it's like, I got the wood fins, and there's no bead, so they're not super sharp, but there's no bead so I can control the flex, and I just sanded them till I was like, oh, that felt good, you know? So, yeah, with the fins, fin stickers and wax, 5.2 pounds. Yeah, so what about, you said stringerless. Yeah. What's your, um, what's the philosophy behind stringerless? You know, that I think comes back, and I wanna touch on people's descriptions for what a board's doing or what they think it's doing. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm the right got the right descriptions, but there's certain things that I've learned are the best way to communicate something. But, you know, boards we've seen in that slow-mo video stuff of Dane Reynolds or whoever it is, and boards flex an incredible amount. But more than flexing, I think that when you're riding a wave, the boards are twisting. Hmm. And that sensation of, oh this board just feels good you're just surfing, you're not video. <laughs> just, just from that feeling of surfing, I believe that the boards twist before they flex. And sure, they're flexing, but... Torsion. I, I believe that the twist is something that you'll favor or work on, or the, the ones that twist better are going to be the ones that get interpreted as flex just right. Hmm. So Why do you feel that way? Uh, well, I think they're twisting more than they're flexing. So I think working on the twist is what we really should be working on. But I think that when a board when a board is too stiff, it just you know you start being a passenger on it. When it's too flexy, you don't get enough drive. When it's just right, you start to you know rein back a little bit, and it's you and the wave, and things start to really happen together. But um, yeah, I think having a stringer in a board isolates. Say the board's 20 inches wide. Now, all of a sudden, you're trying to twist something that's ten inches wide with a with a, with a linear reference mm-hmm. if it's a good wood, so that twist is i'd hate to bring math in, but let's say it's half as obvious as if you took the stringer out, put some rigid glass on it, or maybe not, and now you've got twenty inches of movement, and in a small wave, I think you're gonna your feet are going to feel that you you're gonna be in a it's just just
1: what about the argument that,
2: you know, the stringer adds strength?
1: Well, if you want a good board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Mar- let's say it's going to be marginally less good, but last longer because of the strength. Now, is that an argument? No, am, it's
2: a total a, argument and and um is it a legitimate argument? It's a very very okay. legitimate argument and you look at I hate to bring all these names in, but this is how I learn the stuff. You yeah, know, it's sure. like I had long conversations with Brad Applegate from Applecore Stringers. Right. They're making the best stringers. Why? Because say they got a three ply core. Well, it's like three times the chance that you're going to get good wood. They choose good wood, so there's they pair it three times. It's going to be good That's as opposed laminated. to it's, it's a laminate. So just like when you build a board, it's laminated. So I, I think one of the biggest things is to choose the right core. So when I build this epoxy board, ironically, this is 2.7 pounds. is probably the most common that you'll find and that's what I use from US when I order on, you know, 2.1 I think is what they market it as. But I think building something with a solid core and pairing it with a glass job is more what we're used to, like poly. If you're going featherweight, uh, this board right here, that's 1.5 pound core with a stringer and lightweight glassing, but the one I mean the whole thing squashes and comes back from itself, you know, so you're getting this it's actually a dissociation. You've got a soft core with a hard shell. Mm-hmm. I think pairing them is more what we're used to feeling from poly and that's I think why poly boards do work so well. Yeah. Um, but the the whole Stringer thing is a... Uh, if you're building high-performance boards that are you know two and a quarter inches thick or whatever and you're consistently in the hardest part of the wave coming up vertical and Stomp, I mean guys are breaking an incredible amount of boards from doing big airs. Yeah. That's where surfing's going, I understand. So, sure, but, you know, even those, I mean, you take somebody like, um, what's his name? Craig Anderson on the whole um, uh, Future Flex technology that they've incorporated with Hayden Shapes. Yeah. You know, stringers in those board. Okay. Parabolic effect with a carbon rail, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Boards feel good, I even rode one and I'm just like, you can feel what the board's doing, but They're not breaking as many boards, but sure, they're still gonna break a board. And I almost wanna go back and say which ones were the favourite ones? I bet you they were the lightest ones. Yeah. So I mean I look at every other avenue of sporting or progressive design, like golf, bicycles. Stuff breaks. Yeah. But your favorite equipment's usually the lightest stuff. Sure. So my boards are my boards are buoyant. I like I like buoyant boards and they're hard to build because they'll push water really quickly Mm -hmm. but if you get them right they're your favorite friend and that's I've, I've worked hard to try and surprise people with not this excess buoyancy like oh my gosh it's just a pregnant fairy but wow this board just paddles really well and I'm catching these small waves but when you're on rail you don't want to be nursing that thing and there's little tricks that I've come up with that make the boards that you don't feel are dissociated from a rider's point of view but you're having the benefits of getting in early and being up and higher on the wave and um, those little bits I think having the thicker boards I've gotten away with not not breaking the bunch of boards. Okay.
1: I wrapped up our conversation by asking Donald about a new relationship he has with a clothing company called Visla. The company tagline is "Creators and Innovators." They sponsor surfers, but also photographers and shapers. Donald told me about how closely Visla's mission statement is aligned with his personal vision for Brink surfboards.
2: I love building boards for people because either they don't want to or they can't and if we get those adjectives like i talk talked together if we get those all right and we build something that most of the boards are built for people they cannot buy in a shop anyway because there's nobody else doing yeah. silly things that they want because that's valid and I love doing that like I built a knee board last week <laughs> it's, just, it's mm-hmm. silly but it's exactly what they wanted and so that's there's power in that and it's you feel like Santa you know you're making those toys I call them tools Yeah. <laughs> but um I, th- I think there's power in that but I think adding to this whole conversation of thinking about this opportunity to play in the sea is is really what 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 what's the driving force behind why and how I started doing this and I mean to be honest I should rather just be building on my own boards but they got boring you know like I'm yeah. always gonna build my own boards yeah. and I love writing other people's boards like I wanted to ex- expand this joy you know and I feel like I feel like it's a calling to add to people's experiences in the water. I think surfing is important because no matter what you do, if you're fascinated enough with the sea to go surf, or the fact that you came back the second time and you enjoyed it, meant that that's the way you're wired. And if we're created that way, then we need to responsibly cultivate that fascination. are really what link it all together. And uh it's exciting to be a part of it because you know <laughs> I get to build boards. It's what I've always wanted to do, but the fact that I actually get to do it and then be able to you now talk to more people like this about why I think these thoughts are. I wish the boards didn't look weird. The fact that they do <laughs> a lot of people laugh at them. That's okay. Yeah. But I, I, I'd love you to buy my boards. But if you don't that's okay. So long as you think about the board that you are writing. And I think this is what they're trying to do. I mean one of the things we're trying to do is like, you know, just pay a little attention to how much goes into it.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I really started surfing better when I started to break down what's going into it. And you look at anything else, like people start playing golf, they go to golf lessons. Yeah. Start playing the piano, they go to piano lessons. Start surfing. It's like, hey, yeah, it's a board, good luck. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everyone should go surf coach, but just start breaking it down and think like what do I can do? And you don't have to get all technical, but the more you just apply a little thought to it and, and you, it starts to highlight how precious that... You only get a few seconds away in the beginning. Oh, and there's little, there's little fleeting moments and glimpses of what's so special. I built a, um, I built this channel bottom last week and um, I was riding it and somebody was asking me on the beach, like, why are you going back to the channels? We've been doing a lot of channel bottoms lately and really trying to figure them out. And... The boards have been feeling incredible. I mean, I've been making waves that it. like before probably, I mean, I know I wouldn't have, just the speed and when they're releasing and I'm like, there's something about them. Sometimes they're a little bit quirky, but they have these little highlights of mm. magic. And when I really thought about it, I was like, man, that's all surfing is. You go for a surf and then you walk away with these little glimpses of memory or mm-hmm. snapshots of a barrel or, you know, memories of a top turn or bottom, you know, and... And they're almost like these little snapshots. A little pulse of emotion. And I was like, "What to write a quirky board that showed itself a few of those? I'm like, that's all it is. Yeah. So I kind of stuck it and the boards. Are, they're feeling really good, but I'm sticking to it. And I think that's really what any surfboard is. It gives you an opportunity to go out there and play is a great word. But, you know, experiment is an even better word if you have the luxury of surfing enough. But, I mean, there's some people that some of them, maybe they get to surf once a month. Right. But man, do those guys love it. Oh, yeah. And that's why it's important. You know, like, your own personal surfing experience, I don't care who you are, there's a story in it. Yeah. And that's not what this is all about, is everyone telling their story, but the fact that your story's got that much precious detail to it, Mm -hmm. and there's that many people, which when you really bring it down at that common denominator, that's a cool thing, you know, and it's 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 kind of only on the coastlines yeah but it isn't I mean you walk into Walmart in the Midwest and the bar of soap for sales got a wave on it like yeah. the oceans a very very marketable thing but it's because it just it ties us all together I mean you yeah. look at the percentage of the world it's just it's a lot of ocean yeah. <laughs> and I think for me the lights really went off when I was when I did a lot of sailing and spent days at sea and you know after a few days of not seeing land you start People get all nervous about that but you you get comfortable it's like you you start to I I really started to find where I fit in this world in some respects like okay dad's in charge here this is a big sea and that's okay you know and you sort of you start to appreciate how insignificant each one of our little roles is but yet you get back on land and it's like oh you want to be with people and surfing's the same way and it's like we're really all together in this and uh And it's an exciting thing and I mean my kids are young now and they have four and a half and one and a half but you know like I'm going to expose them to surfing and they enjoy the beach but I I looked at it through really fresh eyes recently and I just, what is our introduction to exposing somebody to this precious activity. Mm -hmm. Some people just grow up at the beach and that's just what you do and it's cool. Like I didn't you know. But that's all I wanted to do. So perhaps I was different and maybe the draw was a little stronger and I can feel it because I love doing what I do. But there are people that are going to get exposed to it and if it's in the right way, I think it's going to be better for the planet. (laughs) I mean, hate to bring that into it, but really I think it's important and that role will actually translate itself into a sustainable future in terms of the more we really appreciate how special it is to play in the sea, you know. I think a lot of these issues get to a place where it's like you don't even know what to do it's like the f- just appreciate your surfing will be a good start mm-hmm. you know and there's great people with amazing campaigns but sometimes you look and it's like well it's hard to preach to people don't even think that surfing is this privilege yeah. <laughs> so I think let's just start there and then you can expound on what to do with these responsibilities totally. I, c- I keep saying it learn how to cultivate your fascination for the sea because yeah. man it it will add to whatever you're doing. I keep saying it's like if you're a father or a lawyer or whatever your role as a husband, <laughs> no, matter, no matter what your profession, the fact that you surf, if you if you neglect it, you're never going to be a good good as all. You got to balance it all. Yeah, yeah. If you just surf, I mean, you're not good at those anyway. But so there's a different responsibility with that role.
1: We have imagery and video of everything we discussed, including a couple of the boards that Donald's talking about in this show, um, on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And, of course, I'll also have links to how to contact Donald if you would like to get in touch with him to discuss anything that we discussed in this show further or to order a board specifically from Donald. We had a, a comment that was left on this show's page The comment was just left in December uh, 18th, so about a month ago, and it was a surfer in Australia named Boyd who was inquiring about – he really enjoyed the episode. He's only been listening to the show a couple of weeks, but he found this episode, and he enjoyed the episode, and he was interested – Um, on my personal thoughts on whether I would recommend a board or not, an asymmetrical board from Donald. And of course, the answer is highly recommended. I've really enjoyed the ones that I ride. And they provide, um, I don't know, more insight into my own surfing, I would say. There's an element of more forgiveness, but also an element of more precision. And I just find them really interesting to ride. Um, There's been some incredible uh, Ryan Birch footage that's come out recently. A surfer named Bryce Young riding a couple of Ryan Birch's asymmetrical designs. So there's guys out there riding them and footage to see. You can find it if you seek it, and we'll of course link to it on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. But Donald is the guy if you want to get a board from. He's accessible, more than willing to discuss what your needs are. So definitely reach out to Donald. There was one other thing I wanted to read at the beginning of the show, and I kind of forgot. It was just an email that I received recently. We, of course, welcome all feedback through the form of email. So if you have anything that you'd like to share about the show, hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com is our email address. So this email came through and it says, as a native of Colorado, bred on winters of obsessive snowboarding and summers of perpetual skating... Those days of solid state transitions could not prepare me for the energy meeting me at the sea. I just recently moved steps from the sand, just north of the Golden Gate. It's cold, harsh and scary at times, but every choppy, sloppy minute of bobbing in the ocean is perfection. A trip to Balagon Beach last month really settled the score. Thank you both for sharing your enthusiasm and passionate opinions with the net at large candid conversations between yourselves and your guests are a wonderland of content for a 31 year old grom thanks and i hope the momentum continues upward greetings from marin county james i just thought that was a beautifully written email and well worth sharing with everyone so thank you for that james from marin county please send any of your email directly to me at hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com until next week This is your host, David Scales, saying thank you again for listening. Ciao.